Hey guys, this is Michelle Simon and Claire Edwards here, and we are Divorce Doula. And today we are bringing to you a continuation of our last podcast, or our last psych podcast, which was on communication. Um, and in that podcast, we just kind of outlined what effective communication and ineffective communication is. We talked about John Gottman's Four Horsemen, the things that can kind of come in, those unproductive behaviors that keep us from communicating well, and how we can bring awareness to that and kind of combat those things. Um, so I'm Michelle, like I said, Claire's here with me as well. And we're going to do this continuation. Claire, do you have anything to say to start? Yeah, yeah it's good to be here. Um, I am a lawyer, so I know my lawyer brain kind of messes with things as we're talking about them. But overall, we're aiming to help people feel supported as they're going through divorces and family law matters. And Michelle and I are also both trained coaches. Um, and just for the, the kind of the lay of the land for this upcoming information we're about to share, is we want to stress that divorce is the time when people need effective communication the most. When a divorcing spouse improves his or her communication, now that the marriage is over, it's going to just help everything improve in the long run. And for someone who's listening to this, we really don't want you to let shame get overwhelming. And even if you hear something that kind of, oh no, feels reflexive, maybe that sounds like something I do every now and then, we're really trying to paint bigger pictures and mm. we're not trying to call anyone out, if that makes sense. Yeah. So actually, when I wrote this blog post, I think I put in there somewhere um, these behaviors that we're all guilty of, because mm -hmm. when you read about these things, like you know that you've either done these things or been a victim of the things and it's yes. just they just slip in naturally in conversation. It's because we're emotionally invested, typically, either in the person that we're having the conversation with or of the topic. Um, and this really is a perfect psych meets law topic because communication is everywhere. Right. So I know what I know about it from the psych side. And then Claire's like, yeah, I see this in my office all the time. And this is how, or this is why it's important. Um, okay. So the last podcast I brought up, um, personality types and how in one of my CDC courses, my training courses to become a certified divorce coach, they brought up personality types and disorders, but in the way that they presented the disorders without the labels. Um, so she didn't even mention that we were talking about disorders and she just listed these five different personalities with their characteristics and what motivates the behaviors. And with my psych background, I was able to identify the different disorders, but it was really cool to see them classified just as a cluster of behaviors. Cause the main point is at the end of the day, all we have to deal with is the behavior. Having that label doesn't help us anywhere. All we have is the behavior and how can we deal with that and communicate with a person who has or exhibits these behaviors. And I want to reinforce that even from the legal side, lawyers are looking for facts. And when we say I'm looking for facts, we mean I'm looking for what did the other person do? So this is a great primer for how to identify or how to deconstruct when you feel that somebody has certain tendencies, be able to identify those behaviors also. So take it away, Michelle. Okay. So the first personality, um, called personality number one, it's described by, and all the personalities are gonna be described by um, what the underlying fear is and basically the motivation. Um, so personality number one is being abandoned. Um, so people like this tend to exert um, overly friendly behavior, but they might also very, very quickly shift to anger or generally have these mood swings. Um, and to maybe compensate is the right word, I'm not sure. Um, but they exhibit this behavior of always attaching to people. So they'll have these really strong, but also really kind of rocky attachments with other individuals. So the second 
personality is um, the underlying fear is being inferior. Um, so these people might be demanding towards other people or demanding in conversation. Um, they might be very demeaning and at the same time be very, very self-absorbed. Um, so they have this thing about always being superior. They have to feel like they're always in a superior or above position. Um, and then personality number three, the fear is being dominated. Um, so to compensate for that, they might have rule breaking or law breaking behavior. Um, they might be deceptive, maybe like con artists kind of, um, and they also kind of enjoy hurting people um, and not in the way that they might enjoy other people's pain, but in the way that that kind of helps them feel um, like they're in power or in control. At least that's the way that I'm perceiving it. And then personality number four, um, the main thing or their main fear is being ignored. Um, so they might be a little bit superficial. They might be attention seeking and they might be very, very dramatic or exaggerated. Um, so if they were to be like telling a personal story, they might be um, the main character of that story and not just their personal stories, but every story. And it's, it's very, very, very exaggerated, very, very dramatic. Um, so again, if the main fear is being ignored, classically the way to not be ignored is to make yourself bigger, right? Um, so personality, personality number five then is based around the fear of being betrayed. Um, and a person who is always afraid of being betrayed might act suspicious of other people and other people's behavior. Um, they might be really into conspiracy theories, just constantly developing them or expecting them or just not really believing what's in front of them. Um, and they might be the first to attack. So they might be very, very defensive before there even is an actual attack because they're just paranoid. Um, so yeah, those are the five. Claire, do you have any elaborations or? I do because one of the struggles that I find that a lot of litigants and family law or just co-parents struggle with is they turn to an attorney and they say, what can I do about that? And a lot of time us as attorneys will stress that, look, these mood swings this other person is, is exhibiting, that's not fair to you, but there's also no laws that really protect you from it. This other person who is being demeaning to you, calling you names, but is so self-absorbed and also requires your praise even after you've divorced this person, that really sucks that they're putting you through that. But also we really don't have a lot of teeth in the law to handle that. Now, this third personality you talked about, who's going to be breaking the rules and the laws, lawyers mm -hmm. can handle that. <laughs> we are the rules and the laws. Like right. if someone enjoys hurting people, they're probably going to end up in criminal court. So that's not a way that they're going to be able to maintain their children is if they are having criminal issues. Additionally, if they're not following their judgment, then that's going to be a contempt of court. And they might just be playing fast and loose with the laws to express to you that they are so scared of being dominated that they don't want to follow the judgment. A lawyer yeah. could take that to court. Yeah, but then, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I'm seeing that four out of these five, we really can't take them to court. And so I'll talk about the other two as well. The superficial yeah. and helplessness and attention seeking and exaggeration. And we all know that one. That's the one who like texts their mother-in-law and their sister and their brother and their cousin all about one little slight that you made that you didn't know you were making. And that's, again, feels really awful, but we can't really take it to court. And then the suspicious person who's terrified of being betrayed, they expect the concert. Oh, they expect you to file everything against them in court. Well, what if they file this against me? You know, they're going to counterattack first. Well, I'm so scared. She's going to file this against me that I just have to file this against her. Well, that's okay. Your lawyer's going to love you because they're going to make a ton of money off of you. But if you take the time to listen to the rest of this podcast and realize, okay, wait, 
it's my own hurt that is being um, messed with by this other person who has this feeling that they're going to be betrayed. I'm not going to betray this person. I can wash it all away. That's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to encourage is uh, we really, I mean, for as much as lawyers would love to make money off of someone like that, that's not good. You know, it's not helpful to, for the children. And it certainly doesn't make that person who is suffering from someone else who's being uh, suspicious of them. It doesn't make them feel any better. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's so helpful to have these personalities broken down by their biggest fear as the motivator for their behavior, because if you are dealing with an individual who, who uses these behaviors or uses these tactics against you, it's like, you can almost see right through it. So rather than like reacting right to it, it's like, like, what are you so afraid of? And then you can kind of answer that question. Exactly. And that same awareness within yourself as well. Um, Okay. So in order, the personality clusters that we just talked about, um, and cluster is kind of a clinical word, but it makes sense because we're going into the diagnoses now. Um, That first personality of being abandoned is borderline personality disorder. So it's what we described, but without um, without the label of the diagnosis. So again, biggest fear is being abandoned and the compensating behavior is always attaching to people. Um, And individuals like this, they typically feel um, really unworthy and empty. Um, They might be lacking a sense of self or might just have like an unstable sense of self, um, very unstable relationships. Um, And again, they are constantly fearing and in a clinical diagnosis to a dysfunctional extent, um, they're always fearing abandonment, whether that abandonment is realistic or imagined. Um, so the second one that we described with the fear of being inferior and then the compensating behavior of always being superior is the narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and in CDC, when they taught this to us, they said, everybody is divorcing a narcissist because it just pops up all the time. It's kind of like a trending label that's just thrown around. Um, and again, just calling somebody a narcissist doesn't really do anything for us. So it's like, okay, great he's a narcissist or we want to call that person a narcissist, but what does that mean for the situation? What does that mean that I'm dealing with and how can I deal with, how can I communicate with a person that is so fearful of being inferior, right? So it's almost like you, you speak to that fear. Um, and then the third one was antisocial personality disorder. So fear of being dominated, compensating behaviors that they're always conning. Um, I'm not gonna go too, too much into these cause they're like the less frequent ones. Um, The fourth one about being very dramatic because the fear is being ignored, that's histrionic personality disorder. And then the fifth personality was paranoid personality disorder. So the fear of being betrayed and therefore always acting suspicious of other people and taking precautions to avoid that. Do you wanna spend some special time on narcissistic personality because so many people do feel that they're divorcing a narcissist? Yeah, and I think that the narcissistic and borderline too are ones that really show up. And I just feel like, I feel like people know the name of narcissistic more than they know the name of borderline, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like they both show up just as frequently and borderline personality disorder is important to me because I feel like that's really one that leads to conflict because that fear of abandonment is, is so intense that people will almost physically try to stop people from abandoning them. Right. And so that's, that can sometimes lead to these more like violent scenarios. Um, I don't know if you have anything to speak to about that. I really can't because then I'd be like practicing medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The only really thoughts I have is um, 
it's it's helpful for us to describe them. I think a lot of people are not comfortable going to the doctor. And I think a lot of doctors want a lot more time than people will give them to get a firm diagnosis, mm -hmm. especially if someone suffers from something like BPD or narcissistic. Yeah. Um, because the doctors really need years to confirm over time that diagnosis. Yeah. And these types of personalities will not give one consistent doctor consistent appointments. Mm -hmm. um, so if that's something that someone who's listening to our podcast sees of their spouse during their marriage, now's probably the time to scoot them to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. um, because once the divorce is happening, it's going to be really hard to get an actual medical diagnosis. Yeah. But that's why this, again, is so important to be aware of these symptoms and aware of what courts will be sensitive to. And at yeah. the end of the day, courts are not sensitive to the diagnoses as much as they're sensitive to the behaviors. Exactly. And again, that's the point. And that's why it's almost like I don't even like to give the label of diagnosis around the personality behaviors, because again, it's just about, and I mean, personality, these behaviors aren't even, they don't even have to be personality. Like mm -hmm. I can say that I've engaged some borderline personality disorder, but I don't think that I have criteria for a diagnosis for that. Um, so that, that kind of goes beyond the scope of what we're trying to emphasize. And it's really just these behaviors and it can be a part of a person's personality, or it can just be like a situational, that's something that fear was brought out in them and motivated their behavior. Um, and then again, the big point is just that it's about dealing with that behavior and recognizing it within yourself or within another person and being able to react or not react, but, um, tend to that. Yeah. And I don't know if this is going too far off base, but I, I want to stick with narcissistic for another second, especially because we are talking about the laws. And when I think about who the laws are written for and who they're written by, um, I think, and as myself an attorney, and I'll admit it, I definitely find that I'm very demanding. I'm very demanding of myself. I find that I get very demeaning very easily. Um, my husband and I have to be very careful about what we say to each other, because if we really don't filter our words, and my husband's an attorney too. So, um, and I'm not, he's not as narcissistic as many other people I know, but we do have some of these behavioral tendencies. And mm -hmm. so if we don't filter our words at the end of the day, we just come home and we're going to continue with that demandingness, that pressure we put on ourselves all day. And it just turns into a demeaning way of talking to one another. Um, for whatever reason, we don't really suffer too much from being self-absorbed um, because we tend to just really focus on our kids. But then when we're not focusing on our kids, it is because we, we need some me time. <laughs> yeah. I find that that's more self-care than self-absorption. Mm -hmm. But again, where I'm going with this is the laws are probably possibly written by people who are already feeling this by people who already feel that they are scared of being inferior. And so they want to always fear, feel superior. So yeah. when, when people get frustrated that the narcissist always wins, yeah, they probably do because the laws are probably written in their favor. Mm -hmm. um, and also that's, I mean, the courts are very used to seeing this and honoring this. They're very used to honoring charming, exciting, persuasive lawyers. And so when they get a charming, exciting, persuasive litigant, they're already, they don't catch that that is a problem in a marriage as much as they catch that this is their regular workplace. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't know if I'm too off base talking about that, and I don't know if you see that as well, but um, I think that's that really demands attention uh, from the courts and the legislatures because family law is so personal 
and mm-hmm. is so psych focused that even though this really does work for me and my husband in our professional lives, it does not work for us in our personal lives. So we've had to tone it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would be great if other professionals caught that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that once you realize the type of person or the type of behavior that that you are working with, that in a way you can cater to, again, so if, if their biggest fear is being inferior, in what way mm-hmm. can you make them feel superior, you know, feed their ego and still not get what you want, but how can you almost take advantage of that and go down that route to have a successful conversation? So how can I make you feel big and strong? If that's what you want in order to get to a conclusion here, then like, fine, I'll give that to you. Especially when it's not at risk of the own individual. So Mm -hmm. if my husband is in need of some big and strong feelings and I'm totally fine, I'm not going to be crushed by giving him a little ego trip or whatever. That is great. That is actually good communication. But if it's, he needs to feel big and strong in some other kind of way that is demeaning to me, that's inappropriate communication. That's not, that's not going to happen. But also when you realize that that is at a negativity toward yourself, then that's when there's a problem. And then that's when you can identify exactly what that trade-off is. He needs to feel this way. And the only way he will feel that way is if I do this. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another reason why it's so important to identify and just really zero in on what the actual behavior, what the actual exchange is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, this, it's hard to maintain. It is. It's hard to maintain in a conversation, especially when, I mean, you might be least expecting it, or you might be like so stuck in a pattern of communication that it's, it's hard to back up and recognize that. And sometimes communication just goes down a path that you didn't even expect it to go. Um, so I think that maintaining this awareness throughout, even if you can't like tap into the motivation behind the behavior or the fear, you know, I'm not saying that we should be diagnosing people as we're talking to them, but just understanding before we attack back that there's, there's something there, like that's coming from, that's coming from a place. Yeah. And even on a custody front, like, um, narcissists crave admiration and attention from others, Mm -hmm. criticism, disagreement, and perceived slight or insult can lead to a narcissistic rage, a reaction disproportional to the offense or imagined abandonment. So if I'm having a custody switch off with my, my ex, maybe I want to give him five text messages. Hey, thinking of you starting at four o'clock for our six o'clock train off, you know, Hey, looking forward to getting the kids. And then that's my four 30 text message. Hey, looking forward to it. You know, like just all of this attention and, Oh, I'm so excited that you get time with the children. They're going to love spending time with you. That can only benefit the children. And there's no reason for that to, to feel harmful to the parent yeah. who's, who's giving the other person all that benefit, um, yeah. except the aggravation that, look, this is why I got divorced. I didn't want to have to do this while I was, while I was married. So why in the hell am I having to do it now? Well, mm-hmm. you're doing it now because you're not at the house with your kids anymore. So you need to be sure that you're setting this person up to take the best care of your kids as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, in better words, what I was referring to in terms of taking advantage of these things. Like if you know mm-hmm. how to tell them what they want to hear, if it means the benefit of the kids or a benefit of just having a good conversation and just getting established what needs to be established to the point that it's not demeaning to yourself. Um, and I, I do think- want to stress that that's the aggravation is that people are like, I have put in the time and effort and money to divorce this person. And now I have to treat them the way they wanted to be treated the whole time. Like, Yes, because that's basic communication. It's got nothing to do with divorce. It's got everything to do with communication. 
Yeah. And that's one of those, it is what it is situations. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to surrender your pride. I think so too. I think so Um, too. That's a really cool thing about coaching too, is that um, some people might really, really struggle to send those texts to the other parent, like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we could be a tool of of snipping down what they're saying of like, okay, this is a little bit passive aggressive, or this is a little bit obvious about what you're doing and just making it clear and concise and tailored to how that person is going to respond the best to avoid conflict. Yeah. And a little bit obvious is the goal. You know, the problem would be if they're playing the victim, um, because again, another narcissistic personality note is regularly complains about how, about being a victim and being taken advantage of by the people around them. So the sender of the text would need to be sure to not flip the the, the switch and become the victim themselves or give off the impression that they're taking advantage. Just, yeah. Hey, I'm building you up so that you have a great weekend with the kids. That's, yeah. that's what we're trying to stress and open up the door for uh, co-parenting couples to be able to do with each other. Yeah. I like that. And that can be applied to, you know, just the entire, um, divorce process. I'd say as, as you're going through these like hard agreements and hard conversations, as you would probably want the person to feel good going into these conversations so that everybody has a good head while making these decisions, right? Yeah. And also on the note of communicating with the the difficult personalities, communicating with one's attorney that this other person has difficult personality is key. Um, A lot of times I, when I'm in the role of an attorney, I don't know how the case is going to go because I don't know the other person. But if I knew the other person, I could give a better picture, a more accurate picture of what I expect or just don't expect, or you know, maybe analogize from cases that I've read about or I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. So being able to know what characteristics and behaviors to look for to better communicate with attorneys is also incredibly important. Yeah. And again, there's the focus on the behavior that we have at hand to work with. Um, and I think that it's interesting to point out that across all five of these personality trait clusters, behaviors, whatever you want to call them, um, there tends to be the constant of putting the blame on another person and attacking the other person, um, finding fault in the other person, but none in the self that runs across all five of them. Um, then there's also this all or none thinking. Um, so it's just right and wrong. That's it. There's no flexibility. There's no compromise. It's just about it's almost just about the argument at that point, like Absolutely. my way or the highway type thinking. Um, and then across all of them is also those unmanaged emotions, no matter what the fear is, if it's kind of like poked at, or if it feels triggered in any way, then there's going to be these intense, intense emotional reactions. Um, whether that's just a raised voice or whether it's criticism and the starting to engage the four horsemen that we talked about, um, contempt and things like that, or stonewalling. Um, that unmanaged emotional aspect is there. Um, And then, like I said, with that comes those extreme behaviors. So again, regardless of the diagnoses, the cluster, the label, that tends to be constant across all five of these. That's so important. You're right about the managed emotions. It really Mm -hmm. makes a difference. Yeah. Because that's the problem that ends up being the problem in the end. Like I said, at the beginning, these, this is so upsetting because we have this emotional investment somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. I gets tickled a bit. So, and again, all you can do is respond to the behavior or be aware of your own behavior and either engage the tools of acting productively from there on out, whether you catch yourself in the tracks or catch the other person in their tracks and kind of change the course of the conversation from there. That's awesome. Great details, Michelle. Thanks for sharing the high conflict personality types. 
course. There's so much more I could say, but I'll save it for the blog post where I'll, I'll probably lay it out just like this, how I have it in our notes of the five different clusters and then go into the, um, the disorders. Mm-hmm. And then I think our next communications discussion is going to be elaboration on the four horsemen. Oh yeah, that's right. So we're going to go back and revisit um, John Gottman's four horsemen. And we're going to talk about, um, he has so much work on how he uses those as the predictors of divorce. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about them as the predictors. And then we're going to talk about antidotes, um, you know, how to respond to these things. And as a reminder, the four horsemen are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And then we talked a bit about flooding last time as well. And so we're going to go a bit more into what that means. Well, we have given everyone a teaser for the next episode as well. Yep. Awesome, Michelle. Thank you today. All right. Of course. Thank you so much, Claire. And then as always, we are Divorce Doula. We're based in Lafayette, Louisiana, but we're certainly available for virtual coaching consults over the internet, over the Zoom or phone or whatever, you know, format is best. And um, our goal is just to complete family law coaching to help people get through the difficulties of litigation for divorce and custody and all the other feelings that go with that.